In chapter 19, the Israelites arrive at their final campsite, as we will, their final campsite as they sojourning from Egypt to the promised land. And as with the previous six plus campsite stops that they've made that we've covered, this was the place God ordained them just like the other place. God had ordained for these stops in their journey from Egypt on the way to the promised land. And that God is complete control and that even though they didn't, weren't sure why they were stopping at a certain place and how terrible that situation they found themselves in, God had ordained that moment of time in each of the sites they were to stop at and so that, they, that God could prepare them for the ult, ultimate land of destiny that they were going to. That each stop, each campsite was a time where God revealed himself a little bit more to the people, but also showed that God is in control and is in power over all things. But this stop is going to be different. This stop is different in the fact and in, very interesting uh, in the fact that the most significant moment in history of the world takes place here, for it is where God spoke audibly to the people. Here in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So we see here in the time of journey, it has now been three months since they left Egypt. In the third month, right here, the children of Israel find themselves at this place at the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai here what they refer to in the scriptures here, wilderness of Sinai. And they're going to camp there. And, at the, and it's, it comes, it's been three months. It is noticed in the verse, verse one, it said on the same day they came. So it looks like almost right to the day there was three months of this journey that we've been going through since they left Egypt, uh, came across, if you remember, and hit the, the, the moment where God had delivered them miraculously out of the hands of the, of the Egyptians. God guided and they received guidance as he led them across on the start of their journey and saw his glorious victory over the Red Sea, the parting and then taking out the Egyptian army there with that Red Sea. And then God miraculously provided the gifts of food and water in times where they thought was never going to happen. They, it was a moment where they were in a, a, a terrible situation, how this was all going to work out, and then God miraculously provided for them in an in a un, you know, unconventional way that they could not even imagine or see how God was going to provide for them in their time of need. And they saw, finally, they saw that prayerful victory over the, their, their first war that they had to fight hand-to-hand with the Amalekites. 
But here, Israel stays in the wilderness of Sinai until we will go all the way through to Numbers chapter 10. This whole time, this 11-month period of being here at the Mount of Mount Sinai and everything that will be taking place takes place between now and all the way to Numbers chapter 10, which is about 57 chapters of Scripture that we'll be covering over this 11th month period of time as they camp here in Mount Sinai. Now, when you see the word wilderness here in the original language here, it means not a sandy desert, which you immediately would think, but as a gazing, grazing kind of a country that's not been settled yet by population. So why did they stop here for so long, for 11 months? It's because a lot of things, significant things take place during this period of time of 11 months sitting and camped out here at the base. And it will be the place where God will give them the law of God, but it also they will receive the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle here during this period of time as well. So Israel's camped out there at the, before the mountain and it's in front of them. It's going to be a miraculous moment here. A sense where they've arrived to the place that God had said right from the very beginning what the objective was is to bring them to this point. And if you remember back in Exodus chapter 3 verse 12 it says, Thus shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. What is that sign? The sign is, is when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What mountain? Mount Sinai. The same place that Moses met God with the, through the burning bush, if you remember. The whole nation of Israel, was to, God was going to use Moses to bring his people to this place right there at the same place that Moses met God. And the people would be then brought there. The people would, uh, would not go any further than what the leader can, has experienced or has, can bring them. And so that's exactly what we've seen here is a perfect example as Moses, as their leader, leads them through this experience that he had, can bring them to. With that experience that God had brought him through, that's the way the people could then be brought to that point as well. And they could not go any further than what their leader has been uh, God has prepared him to lead them to do. And if the traditional site here at Mount Sinai, there's two different views on what that site may be or where that may be. There's one that sits there in the, uh, the, the peninsula, this, uh, the, the Sinai Peninsula. And there's this, I guess, this huge rock formation that jolts out of the, of the land. And it almost looks like a huge pulpit. And many claim that would be the place that uh, we're talking about here in the scriptures. Yep, but there's also another very good, solid reason to believe this uh, Mount Sinai that was being referred to is not in the Sinai Peninsula, but, also, but located on the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba, which is really in Saudi Arabia of today, uh, which is on the east uh, side of the Red Sea there, um, that we know. And, and I'll give you some scriptures of why I kind of lean toward that. And it's because in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15, and according to chapter 3, verse 1, and then of course chapter 3, verse 12, they talk about this mountain, uh, this Mount Sinai being in the region of Midian, which is on the ancient Median land of Median, was in the modern nation of Saudi Arabia, which is on the east side of the Gulf of Aqaba. 
So that's where I kind of lean toward that. Also in Galatians chapter 4, verse 25, Apostle Paul clearly describes Mount Sinai as being in Arabia. And, uh, and again, that uh, modern day, even anciently and historically and archaeologically, point to that direction of possibly. You can go either way. It's not significant for us because we don't stay at Mount Sinai. We're going to talk about a different mountain. Mount Zion is where we're going and what's important to us. Now here in verse 3, it says, Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So in these two verses, we see that God reminds Israel of his great power and care for them. He see, and he highlights three things that he's kind of really done to bring their attention and to understand what he has done uh, in uh, using Moses as a leader to lead them to the point here uh, to this mountain. Moses led by God, went up on the mountain to meet with God as he had before. So Moses, we see in verse 3, went up to, to meet with God just as he'd been before. He's been kind of there in, in this situation once before that God has brought him to. And he leads him up there and the Lord speaks to Moses clearly as can be. Now with this this title, this, this house of Jacob, the children of Israel, and remember in the um, Hebrew uh, poetry in their language is not the rhyming, but it's more of a, a continuous a flow of thought in this context. The house of Jacob, the children of Israel, it's the same person, the same place, or same people, the group that he's referring to here. But at this point, they're acting more, he says, like, um, you know, like the house of Jacob. Why would he highlight the house of Jacob? It's because their actions have been more like Jacob, if you know the, the history and the life of Jacob, compared to the other patriarchs like Abraham or Isaac, he really falls into that, that, that uh, rebellious kind of state of Jacob and, and, and how they've been, the people were coming across, the children of Israel were coming across the desert here and rebelling against Moses and all kinds of things. But notice here in verse 4 that God says, You have seen what I, have, I did to the Egyptians. So the very first thing God sends a message here through Moses to the people is that I, I look what I have done for you. Look in the past, just in the last three months, what have I done to provide, um, uh, using my power, my, my abilities to care for you in your time of need? So this destiny, as they're coming across, going to the promised land, God is reminding them of his purpose and his destiny for the people of Israel here. And that they're going to see God reveal, and he's reminding them of the great deliverance from Egypt. The second thing he reminds them is, is I bore you on eagle's wings. Eagle's wings refers to as being strength or strong and, and careful protection like a mother eagle over her, her, her chicks. And that it should be, um, or eaglets, I think is maybe a proper name for baby eagles, eaglets. And uh, in and, and, and how he cared for them and provided a protection for them to learn to, to fly, to learn to move, to move, to, to move away from Egypt, 
from what they grew up with, what that's all they know, all their culture, what they, their environment, where they lived, what they ate. Everything was changing, but he says, I'm like the mother eagle. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guide you and teach you how to fly. And you're going to bore you up in regards to moving you to learn how to fly um, and to do that. And so we see this metaphor is even developed even more in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. And it refers to the eagle's wings of a loving compassion or protection um, a strength and watchfulness of God over his people. That's what it means in regards to the eagle's wings. And the third thing that God says here is that he brought you to myself, which means not only did he deliver you like the eagle's wings, I'm delivering you, I'm teaching you how to fly, how to, to move on, but he says here, but I'm also ultimately bringing you into my presence. God's presence here for fellowship and a relationship with him. This wasn't to bring you out of Egypt to put you on a course so you can live your life however you want to be. Get out of bondage so you can live however you want to? No, no. God brought you out of bondage so that he could teach you and to show you that he's in control. And a, a, like a mother uh, uh, eagle over his, her eaglets. Uh, let's put it that as a, maybe that's a word. But to not only to teach you and to guide you and protect you and to, if with compassion, but thirdly, it's ultimately so that you can live for him in a fellowship and relationship with God and to be in his presence. That's what God is saying here to you. You don't get to go live on your own life once you're out of bondage. You come and you live for me. God delivered Israel so they could live not apart from God, but to live so closely to God that you live and follow in God's presence. And that is true for us. Once God has brought us out of bondage of sin... He didn't bring us out of bondage and then protect us and compassionately help us and grow and mature so that you can live however you want to live. He wants you to be close in his presence and be so close that it's because it's a personal relationship. It's about a relationship about fellowship with him. That's what he's teaching us and is was teaching them as well here in the desert. So the very first thing the children of Israel were to do is to, uh, in preparation to receive what God had for them, was to remember, to remember how God had set them free from the bondage of, of Egypt. And how important it is for us to always remember what the Lord has done for me, for you, in regards to how good and great he is. As we read the word of God, we were reminded, we remember of his goodness and his passion, compassion, to free us from our sins and to set us free to be able to live for him. Live in relationship with him, to be in his presence, God's presence. And I realize that many times people don't realize how God loves us in such a compassion, a compassionate way. And how much he asks of me and for you as a loving father would truly wants the best for you and for me. A loving father wants the best and he wants you to stay close. He wants you to be there. He wants to be there for you and be with you to always be available to you. And that is why communion is so important. 
Communion is that every time you come to the Lord's table, you, you come into his presence and you're reminded again and again of a remembering of his love that he has for me. So much love. It's a, uh, he loves, it's the, the saying, uh, he loves me to death. And we went to, to the cross, he loves me to death. That's how much he loves you. He was willing to pay his life for you. That's how much he loves you. The Lord loves you. And verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So as God is speaking to Moses here, and he's reminding him of, of, of the fact that they've been brought out of bondage, he's protected to care for them like an eagle on eagle's wings. He's brought them to himself as in relationship and in fellowship and remembering of this relationship and how close it is. He says, now just obey my voice. Hear my words and obey my voice. Keep my covenant, a covenant. Remember, the law has not been given yet. Keep my covenant. This relationship, this, 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 this covenant that he has poured out of, of it being a, his special treasure, a, a nation that is, should be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for the entire world that God is going to uh, use them as a beacon of a light that they were supposed to be as the children of Israel. So before God called Israel to keep his law, he commanded them to keep his covenant. Which means the covenant is greater than the law. The covenant God made with Israel involved not only the law, but a sacrifice, but the choice to obey his voice. The choice to obey God's word to his covenant, his word. And if, when it comes, when you obey, there's blessings. When you don't obey, there's a curse. And so God intended for Israel to be a special treasurer to him. He wanted them to be a people with you, this, playing this unique part in God's over, overall plan uh, for, the, for people. A great people of great value is of great concern for God. And he wasn't, God is not looking at just the, 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 Jew, the Jewish people or the, 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 the children of Israel and forgetting the rest of the, of, of the world and the rest of the population. But no, he, he's going to use them for all the earth is mine, he says. He, he's in control of everything. He's involved and in, in, in wants and in, is looking over and, and, and is involved of all people, not just the children of Israel. But he's going to use them in a special way in his plan. Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 1.18, where he says that he wanted to, that Christians should know how great a treasure they were to God. And he prayed that they would, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He, Paul wanted to make sure we understood as Christians, we're a great inheritance as saints to God. 
But he says here in these verses, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. A whole nation was to act like mediators uh, or ambassadors for God's grace in the nations of the earth. Peter reminds us of this as well in 1 Peter 2.9, uh, that we are royal priesthood, those who serve God as both kings and priests and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. How did, where do we see that? We saw that, matter of fact, on Wednesday when we kind of touched on that a little bit in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. That God has made us kings and priests to his, to his, to his God and Father. But we are to praise God. We are to be an example and to be used by God for all in the cross, all the nations. Holy nation. His special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The nation of Israel, as they were bringing out of Egypt, was to come and to praise him and to be a light to all the nations that would be listening and watching and see and be glorifying God of what God has done for them, that they would lead them or to be drawn to the God of the heaven. And as Christians, we have been brought out of darkness, out of bondage as well, and we are now light. His light shines, it bears within us, because he's within us, but bears out as well to draw people to him. Not to us, but to God Almighty. In verse 7 we see, So Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Well, Moses hasn't laid out because he doesn't know exactly what God's going to call them to do, but they were willing, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll do whatever God says, we'll, we'll do it. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord and said, Lord, people said, whatever you speak, we'll do. We'll obey it. Verse 9, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So we hear the people are challenged to make a choice. Are you willing to hear God's word and be obedient to God's word Will you follow his word? And they said, yes, absolutely. But later on, they're going to be challenged by keeping the covenant that God is going to reveal to them. Because after they heard the terms, and after they see what God is, is expecting of them, they are, will again have to reconfirm that they will be obedient to the covenant of God's word that God has given them. We will see that in Exodus chapter 24 verses 1 through 8 where there will be the, a little bit more of a formal arrangement in making sure they understand and reaffirm that they will follow the covenant of God. But here Moses was acting like a true priest, was he not? He was being the mediator between God and the people at this point in time. God spoke audibly to Moses so that Moses then says, as God says here, that the people may hear when I speak to you. 
So everyone would know that it was really God speaking to Moses because Moses is speaking to the people. So God is going to make it very clear on this, this mountain pulpit to, to communicate to the people who are that 2.5 million who are gathered at the base of that mountain. And when God comes and rests on that mountain, not only as he speaks to Moses, they will clearly know that is God's voice and there will be no uh, question about it. And they will know that God has been speaking to Moses. This is not Moses kind of a leader of the people making things up as he goes. That he's actually seeking after God and hearing from God and just communicating what God is revealing to him as a leader. And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 10, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him. But he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. We're going to see three things here in this passages right here, verses 10 through 13. Three things that they were to follow. Clearly, the Lord was telling Moses to tell the people to get them ready. The first is, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. So the very first thing is, go tell them to be clean. Get cleaned up. Most of these people only had one outfit, so they had to take the time to clean it so that outwardly they had clean clothes. God was going to appear to the people in a spectacular way. God's presence was going to happen right in front of the, everybody who was there at that mountain. And before that could happen, God is telling Moses to tell the people to get ready. The first thing is to be, to be clean. The people had to prepare themselves to come to hear and to see and be in God's presence. The people were to wash their clothes as an outward sign of an inward expectation to hear what God was going to say. So in this case, they were going to clean their clothes and be prepared and, and, and spruce up and, get a, and be awake, ready to go, with an expectation to hear God's voice speak to them. And to those who would truly and clearly hear the voice of God personally and powerfully, we must wash our clothes as well. If we wake up in the morning and we want to come and to sit and to hear God's voice, or as we're sitting in our, in our, on our, in our chair, we open up our Bibles, are we ready? Are we, are we, are we clean? Are we ready to, to hear God's word or hear coming on a Sunday, be it through Facebook Live or being here personally? When you wake up, are you coming to be clean prior to coming to sit and hear the word of God taught? The question is, how is that to happen for us? Many people say, oh, I get my Sunday best on. I get all gussied up before I come to church. I really look really good. 
The only time I ever wear this one suit that I have is come on. No, it's not the outward look here that they have to do. The scripture tells us as Christians how we're to be clean. How is that? We'll give you the first one. Jesus says it right out front, John 15, 3. You are clean because of the word which I have spoken. How can we be clean? Being in his word. Allowing his word to clean us, to cleanse us, to change us biblically. Ephesians 5.26, Paul says, We are washed with the washing of the water by the word. How are you to, to help someone who's spotted by the world, who's challenged by the things that they've seen or heard or the past or the present? You can pour the word into them. Share the gospel, share the word, share the gospel, share the scripture to them. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man cleanse his way? David said, by taking heed according to your word. So how can you help that young man or help that young, young lady or anybody? By taking heed according to your word. Read the word of God and be obedient to the word of God. That's how we can be cleansed, to be clean. And so as we prepare ourselves to come and to hear the word of God, do we just, do we sit there and pray and get into word and get ourselves ready to go to, with an expectation of what God is going to speak to your heart through and by the word of God when you come? We should. The second is, the second thing that uh, God says to Moses to tell the people is you shall set bounds for the people all around. Because God says, I'm going to present myself. I'm, my presence is coming here to Mount Sinai, and you must set boundaries. He says, stay away. Watch your step. Don't touch this mountain. You must set boundaries for the people. Keep the distance behind the barrier that you must set up for the people, and not only for the people, but for the animals, because they cannot touch this mountain that I'm coming to, to, to rest upon. If, if, you, if so, there's a penalty for failing to keep their distance, and that penalty was death. You would be surely put to death, he says. Not a hand should touch these people. If someone is bold enough, and it, if there's an Israelite who is proud enough and bold enough, says, I am going to storm the mountain, and I'm going to climb up that mountain with you, Moses, or, you, or just touch the mountain so I can just experience this. Even though he's been warned, the people who had the boundaries that were set were not to go and grab a hold of that young man and pull him off the mountain. They were to stone him or shoot him with an arrow so that they would not get too close as well in regards to touching him who was touching the mountain. But if there's anything basic to human nature, is, that is this. We need boundaries. Set appropriate boundaries and and so that someone does not get hurt. It's like, a, it's like a parent with the children. Parents who say, I don't need to have boundaries set for children. Let them freely live and freely go and experience and is, is absolutely insanity. Children need boundaries. Adult need boundaries. They're not, shouldn't be the same. Some, some 
Some adults are kind of like need boundaries like children because they're so out of control. But it shouldn't be. But as boundaries and they mature and grow, the boundaries get a little bit more and more of freedom for those children uh, and for, obviously, adults in some cases. <laughs> but God showed Israel that obedience is more important than their feelings. I know you feel like touching the mountain. I know you feel like climbing the mountain with Moses and you can do it just like him. You can be a leader just like him. But God says, no, your obedience to what I ask you to do is more important than your feelings. We don't doubt that someone can be that bold and be willing to go and do it, but we must submit our feelings to obedience to God. That's how, that's how that God brings about that self-control of the fruit of self-control within us, is obedience to his word and not be led by feelings in regards to uh, that would contrary to what God would ask us to do or not do. But notice at the very end of the scriptures that when the trumpet sounds long, that that's when God's invitation for the people would, could come closer, but again, could not go past those boundaries. It would be an invitation, an open invitation for them to come as the sounding of the trumpet, they would, could come to the boundaries, but not beyond them. Verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. So the third thing, not only be clean, the second thing was set boundaries, but the third thing that he was to do is be ready. And one of this final preparation to be ready to hear the voice of God was to be in his presence. To, to The children of Israel were to be ready to put away um, and set a time ready to hear from God. That they were to put away any fleshly indication, even though that's normal fleshly desires to be with your wife as a husband, even though that's natural and it was normal and it was, and it was ordained by God for a married couple, but he's saying that at this point in time, we do not want you to be um, uh, distracted from what God is going to be coming and in your presence and to be doing and speaking to you. So there, he wanted nothing and anything of the flesh it's almost like a fasting. I want to hear everything that God has for me, so I will deny the flesh just so that I can hear clearly what God is, wants to speak to me, my heart about by his word. I get a, to, to be able to get a specific word from the Lord on something that they're, you're praying about, or that you just know that God was going to speak as I come to sit and to hear his word, I have a great expectation my heart is ready. It's clean. I, I've been in the Word. I've, I'm ready with a great anticipation. I have, I have, I've, I've, I've set boundaries. I'm, I'm no distractions. I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that I hear from, from what God has for us. That's why we don't uh, have children in the sanctuary because we want the children to learn at their own at their own level. But at the same time, I don't want children to also distract the parents from hearing what God has for them as we sit and study the Word. 
And then thirdly here, to be ready. Don't have anything that fleshly desires that are dominating your thoughts and your motives coming into wanting to hear from God. And sometimes there can be some fleshly distractions that can keep you from hearing what God has for you, even though they may be natural and good, in this case, to be with your wife. Now, verse, uh, verse 16 here of 19 says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. So this is an incredible moment here. We see that God is descending down upon this Mount Sinai. And with it comes thundering and lightning and this thick cloud. And it's just these signs of power and signs of this glorious signal of God's presence coming upon this mountain here. The whole environment spoke of God's presence. And it was so overwhelming because the people could hear and see and smell and feel. Every sense that of that person's body was sensing God's presence coming. And it brought them to a point of, of as the scripture says here, uh, they, were, they were trembling. A trembling of, of just... Of, of the anxiety of, of anxiousness or the, or the, or the fear, it, it would probably vary that trembling of why they're trembling. What would that come? One could be trembling of excitement. For some, when they hear the word of God, it doesn't bring a trembling of excitement. Like a little puppy, oh, I'm so excited to go to church. For some, just walking and getting to the building and even getting up in the morning. Oh, it's church. I don't know if I should go to church. What I've been there, done that. Before I got saved, I, I, I went to a church. I was like, what is going to happen? As the people say, the roof coming down on top of you? You know what? You know, even you know, people who have gone to church their whole life, but they know they're just, their life is not right with God. They know they should go to church. But their feeling says, I don't think I feel like I should go. And we always encourage, keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Because God, coming into God's presence, God, yes, you might be trembling with excitement of what God has for you today. Or it could be an excitement of going, oh, what is the Lord going to show me today and, and remind me uh, of what needs to change in my life. Whatever it may be that's trembling you. Don't stop coming and with great, being ready, being with boundaries, with, with being ready to, to come and, and to, to, to be able to, to be come in and hear uh, what God has for you in his presence when his word is spoken. But this is a tremendous moment here of just thundering and lightning and thick cloud and all of this and the earth is shaking and, and the smoke is like a furnace. What a view that must have just 
across the board. There's no doubt that 2.5 million plus people could see and feel and hear and smell everything that was going on. It wasn't even into words. You know, can you imagine you're hearing Moses tell you what it's going to be like if you go to church? <laughs> where, where God's presence is coming. You're coming to church and it's going to be like this. But when you get there, it's just far greater than you would ever imagine. How would you tremble? How would you tremble? What a frightening phenomenon it could be, especially with the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet getting louder and louder and louder. And that wasn't coming from the camp. It was coming from heaven. What an amazing moment that God was definitely getting their uh, attention uh, as his presence is being made known here. And, and you notice here at the very end there on verse 19, and then Moses spoke, and then God answered him by voice audibly. What a moment. Verse 20, Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. There he goes, back up the mountain again. <laughs> he went up, he went down. Now he's going back up. He's going back out there. And talk about that. I, I just want to be in God's presence. I want to hear. He, he, he knows the value, how important it is, even as challenging of going up the mountain again, physically. How challenging it would be. Well, do I really want to go and be in God's presence at church? And physically, I'm kind of tired. You know, it's been a long day yesterday, sunning myself in the beach. No, we didn't want to have sun just maybe today, but whatever it may be. That. The enemy would love to flare up the, the flesh to kind of convince you not to come and to uh, be in God's presence and hear his word. But here, he did. Moses trucked right back up to the mountain just like uh, God had asked him to do that as, as the Lord comes down on top of the Mount Sinai here. And as the people are trembling in, in, in terror and, and fear, anxiety or excitement, whatever it may be at the foot of the mountain. But remember, Moses had to have courage here too. He had to be strong and of good courage to go up into all that was taking place. Everyone else has got to be at the foot of the mountain. He had to go up into that thunder and lightning. He had to go up into that trembling on that mountain. He had to go up and meet with God into, the, into this moment. So it took tremendous courage to go to the top to meet with God here. But yet remember, Moses knew God not only in terms of this awesome power that's being displayed in everything coming down, but he also remembered the terms of the graciousness or the gracious kindness that God has shown as well. So again, as a leader, he understood uh, all of that and it just emboldened him and empowered him by God just to, I want to be in, in front of God. Regardless of what the power is being displayed, I also know that of his loving kindness as a father and I want to be and I want to hear and I want to experience God's presence. And then we finish here, verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. 
But Moses said to the Lord, uh-oh, he's giving suggestions to, to God here. But Moses says to the Lord, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. Amazing. God says to do something. He then tells you to go back and double check and remind the people to do it again. And, and, and then you respond to God and say, oh, you already told us that. I already did that. There's no need for me to go back down all the way down that mountain. Is it really, God? Do you really want me to go all the way back down that I just climbed up to go tell the people what I've already told them? What does God say to him? Verse 24, then the Lord said to him, away. Woo. That, that's pretty cut and, cut and clear for a guy. <laughs> Not a lot of words to tell the guy. Moses, away. Get down and then come up. As clear as can be. Yes, I am expecting you to do the hard thing. Yes, I am expecting you after you just climbed all the way up. I want you to go back down, tell the people once again, make sure they don't cross those boundaries, warn them again, and then you come back up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. So here we are. Go down and talk to these people because I know these people. They're my people. Some of them are rebellious. Some of them are very curiosity. I just want a little peek. Some simply just daring to go up the mountain. That pride says, I can do it. But the glory and the greatness of God wasn't something to be as God says to Moses to tell him, this is not a moment where you just want to investigate what God is like there on the mountain. It's not just to come, I'm going to just, just, just check it out. Maybe I'll check out God a little bit. This is not a moment to do that. You don't just come check out God here. We're trying to say, Moses thinks he's some, some, some leader and some man. I'm a manly man too. I can do whatever I want to. I can do boldly and go to that mountain. And again, God is saying, no, this is not a time to do that. Listen to God's word. Be obedient. Don't, don't respond based on the feeling. And so, just as God told Moses to go down there and warn him more time, then when you come back up, bring Aaron up with you. Didn't mean there was some open invitation because you're bringing Aaron, now everyone else gets to come. Why does Aaron get to go and I don't get to go? I'm going to go do it myself and I'm going to come. No. Tell him that just I'm, God's asked me to bring Aaron back up with me. That doesn't mean you as priests or you religious people or anybody else and you think you, you, you earn it or justify to be able to do it. No, the rest of the nation had to meet God right there at the base and don't touch the base. There was this Sinai exclusion. It was just going to be him and Aaron. That was it. That was going to go up there uh, onto the mountain of Mount Sinai. Now many today feel we need to 
you know, you get these two different camps and saying, well, that's just not a God I want to serve and I want to follow and I am even interested in his thunder and lightning and, and awe and wonder and quaking and all that. That's just a fear of God. No, that's an awe of God. That's an awe of God of his power and his presence and who he is. Then you got on the other side of the camp and says, yes, we need more thunder and lightning and we need more fire and brimstone and all kinds of stuff coming down on this nation. Because that nation, this state is really going against God. That really needs to, God has to do some really mighty things. Maybe he'll get that, people will get people's attention. That's what is going to work, man. This pestilence, this pandemic, this, this uh, uh, earthquakes and, and fire and brimstone, all Whatever it is, Lord, bring it so people will know that God is real in God's presence. They can't mess with him. That will change people's heart. <laughs> but you know as well as I do, if you know the scripture, that doesn't change a person's heart. Maybe temporarily it will keep some kind of paralyzed out of fear or trembling. But once they overcome it, they, they won't. They won't stay there. And we know this even with the people here. After all of that view, everything that God's presence coming down and audibly hearing God's voice, you would think that would change 2.5 million people's heart to obediently follow God the rest of their way. But we already know the story. We already know the story. Because 40 days, basically 40 days from this, the entire whole nation will be there at the base of this mountain. When Moses was up there and he comes down, they're sitting down there melting the gold, creating this gold castle. They could have an orgy around this golden calf, praising some god, this golden calf, like it was the golden calf that brought them out of delivering them out of Egypt. It's insanity. But, but that happens even today. How quickly God brings you out of bondage. And then after a period of time, even though God miraculously showed you mighty, his mighty hand of how he delivered you, or someone else, let's say. But then you just go right back into sin. People who watched your life and how God actually saved you and preserved your life. And they're like, God is... And they'll go to church after 9-11. People went to church and after a period of time, what did they do? They went back to their old life. Because they overcame and stopped remembering what God has... What it meant to be in his presence. And so if you're not remembering what it was like to be in God's presence... And what he has done for you to bring you out of bondage, you will go back to the old ways. Unfortunately, they have done that, or they do that. But in, let's let's wrap it up here. Do we do as we go into communion here? That awe is one thing. Being in awe of God is one thing. But the submission of the will is another. Many will go praising God because it is there an awe of God. But God wants us to be submissive of our will to God's will. That is where we want to be. Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24, says clearly under the new covenant that we have as a Christian, we come to a different mountain than they are experienced here in Mount Sinai. 
that our salvation relationship with God is centered not on a Mount Sinai experience, but a Mount Zion experience, a Calvary experience. If you just look at just the, what the people experience here on Mount Sinai, they, they experience this fear, they experience this trembling, this terror that was coming because of the, the overwhelming awe of God coming down in all of his glory. But for us, the Mount of Zion speaks of love and forgiveness. We have been forgiven. His unconditional love to go to the cross for us at Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is talking about a desert experience. An emptiness out there. A dryness. But our Zion is the city of a living God. Living water. Of refreshment. You know, we, they experience this like this, this amazing power of God shaking the earth, shaking their life to get them to understand of who He is. But our Mount Zion experience is a heavenly and a, spirit, a spiritual experience. Moses was the only one that got to go up the mountain. Along with Aaron, it's the, the second or the third time he was able to bring Aaron up. But only they were able to come up and meet with God. But our Zion experience is an un, innumerable company, a great, a great assembly of people that God is bringing. Sinai had people who were sitting at that base of that mountain looking at the, God's presence coming in. And it causes tremendous fear. But for us, at Mount Zion, we don't come in, in fear. We, are, we have been justified by our God. We have, been, we have been made perfect by God. We have nothing to fear to come boldly into his presence. Moses was the mediator for the people. Jesus, Jesus Christ is our mediator. I don't know about you. Would you like the Moses mediator or Jesus mediator for your life? The old Sinai is going to set forth an old covenant that that old covenant had a covering of their sin of the people by the sacrifice of an animal. And it was just a covering by the blood for the people. They had, to keep, they had to keep sacrificing over and over and over for that covering. But for us at Zion, it's a new covenant. And we've been ratified by the blood of God's precious son. And it's not just a covering. It's a complete washing for us. And it's finished. It's done. There's not that continuous having to this animal sacrifice or continuous sacrificial of someone to keep us cleansed. Sinai was all about barriers and exclusions, and, but in Zion is all about invita open invitation to anyone who wants that relationship with God. Zion will be all about grace. 
And next week we'll see that Sinai is all about the law. And so we have much to celebrate, much to praise. Praise our God. And as we, let us dare, let us take a bold step here and draw close to God. Choose for this day who you shall serve, who you will follow, whose presence is the most important in your life. Is it God's presence that you seek after? Or do you seek after other people's presence or other things of this world has to offer? But let us come to the Lord's table now and let us boldly come into God's presence and let us worship.